0: Welcome to the Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. We pray that you will be greatly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by a guest pastor graciously serving our GBF body this Lord's Day. Join us as we are appointed to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word.
1: It is a joy and a privilege to be here today. It's amazing how God works things out. Hold on, let me get my password correct. And I wanted to thank the worship team and... uh, Just what a blessing it is to hear uh, the songs that they're singing and also the scripture reading and in God's providence how everything just comes together. So uh, what a joy and what a privilege it is to be here today and to be able to stand in this pulpit even though I am definitely not worthy. Um, But I think that uh, in God's providence that I am here. So let us turn to our Bibles, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 through 12, is what we'll be studying today. And it says, Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. This is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we have received the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And the one who does not believe has has made God, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. This is written that you may know. Well, in today's sermon, we are going to enter into the doors of the highest courtroom in the universe. And we are going to hear a case for Christ. And in this case, you're going to hear the testimony from three different sources that Jesus Christ is indeed God. We will hear from the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And the testimony from these three sources are all in agreement with each other. But know this, most importantly, this testimony from God about His Son, who is Jesus Christ. This is God's testimony, and in this courtroom Each one of us is going to take a seat as a juror and we are going to listen to these different testimonies. Now, this is not just any case. It is a case that has existed for thousands of years. The charge is against Jesus Christ. It is made by the world and those who are of the world. The charge against Jesus is this that he is not the Christ. He is not who he claims to be. He is not the one who the Bible claims he is. Now, here's the twist in this court case. Every person who was born into this world is a juror, and each one of you will have to cast a vote. We will all have to make a personal decision Is Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Is he the Christ who gives eternal life to all who believe and call upon his name? Is Jesus Christ God? But before you cast your vote, I pray that you will heed this warning. That you know that your vote will have eternal consequences Or everlasting life. The charge was made by the early church, and this is the same charge that continues today. And this is the very reason that John wrote this epistle, which of course is inspired by God. It is because he is combating the false teachers in his day. Now to give you a little bit of background of what's going on in the early church. These false teachers, they claim that they have an elevated knowledge, a higher truth, which they claim had more authority than the scriptures. These new ideas became known as Gnosticism, which is the most dangerous dangerous heresy that threatened the early church And even today, these heresies still continue to infect the church. It's a heresy that threatens to destroy the fundamentals of the faith. These false teachers, they twist and they pervert the truth. They mislead people so that they come to believe in their lies. You see, the Gnostics, they claimed that the Spirit entered into Jesus Christ at his baptism, and then the Spirit of God left him just before his crucifixion. Well, these heresies are contrary to what the Bible says, and unfortunately, many people will believe the testimony of man rather than the testimony of God. Now one of the reasons why I decided to preach on these verses today because not long ago somebody very special to me asked this question. How do I know who Jesus is? How can I know the truth if I haven't seen with my eyes? And you know what? I can sympathize with that because when I was just a kid, probably in the middle school age, I had these same questions. Who is Jesus Christ? I've never seen him. How, how can I love him if I've never seen him? So this morning, I invite you into the highest courtroom to listen to the evidence and the testimonies in this case for Christ. And it is my prayer that by hearing the testimony of God Almighty, that you will know and come to know the truth. So the prosecutor's first question is this, who does Jesus claim to be? Well, if we look at John chapter eight, verses 58, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am now this is a reference to Exodus 314 when Moses was speaking to God Moses asked God for his name and the Lord responded I am who I am well in the book of John Jesus makes seven additional I am statements I am the bread of life I am the light of the world I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And in John 10 30, Jesus said, I and the father are one. You see, when Jesus made these claims the Jews, they understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be God. And for those very statements, the Jews picked up stones and were ready to stone him. Then the prosecution examines the Bible. What, does the Bible claim that Jesus is God? Well, as we know, the Bible is God's very own word. It is written by the hand of man, but inspired by God, as you can read in 2 Timothy 3.16 or 1 Peter 1.21. In our scripture reading today, in verse 11, it says that God gives his testimony and says that Jesus is his son who gives eternal life. Well, who else can give eternal life except for God? And in Matthew one twenty-three, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And in Isaiah 9.6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And one of my favorite verses is John 1 1 and John 1 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, it's very clear that both Jesus Christ and the Bible claim that Jesus is indeed God. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you believe in the claims of Jesus Christ Do you believe in the claims of the Bible? Well, as you sit in the court as a juror, please consider this. What right do we have to make a judgment call on God, who is the creator of this universe? We are mere humans. We are wretched and we are undeserving of God's mercy. God must clearly love us because none of us deserve to even step into the courtroom to make this judgment call. Yet here we stand before God Almighty, and each one of us during our finite lives puts Jesus Christ on trial. Do you deserve this opportunity? Not at all. What we do deserve is death. For we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. There are none who are righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There are none who seek for God. There are none who does good, not even one. We all deserve to be cast into the lake of fire. Yet God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before you cast your vote, I implore of you to consider the testimony of the three witnesses that God has brought before you. And the defense attorney is John the Apostle. So take note that there are three witnesses for a very specific reason. Because God, in God's courtroom, one, more than one witness is required To convict a man of a crime. And this principle, it's a safeguard against a false witness who might bring an untruthful charge. By requiring more than one witness, greater accuracy and objectivity establishes the truth. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In Hebrew 10.28, 10, 20, 10, it says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. First Timothy 5.19 Do not commit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And when a brother sins and we are to show him his fault, Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So our verse here today in verse 7 says, There are three that testify on behalf of Jesus Christ. The Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So, God has provided us with three witnesses for the jury to hear. So, let's begin by putting the first witness on the stand. And the first witness is the water. The water in verse six is referring to the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now in Matthew 3:13 Jesus approaches John the Baptist and he asked to be baptized. And how does John respond in 3:14 John the Baptist he objects to the baptism of Jesus. And you know what I can understand the hesitation of John the Baptist. John responds by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? You see, John saw no need for the sinless Lamb of God to participate in the baptism of repentance. John's ministry was to call Israel to repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Now, to clarify, repentance is far more than a mere change of mind or remorse. Repentance involves turning from sin to God, resulting in righteous living. Genuine repentance is a work of God in the human heart. The act of baptism does not produce forgiveness. It is only the outward confession and illustration Of true repentance. Jesus, who is pure and perfect, who is God in the flesh, he had no need to repent because he's sinless. So, why then did Jesus go to John to be baptized? Well, the the act of baptism is necessary for a number of reasons. Number one, he had to fulfill all righteousness. Two, it was a picture of his death and resurrection. Whenever you baptize somebody, you dunk them into the water, which symbolizes death, the being buried. And then when you raise them up, it symbolizes being resurrected. Number three, it marked his identification with those whose sins he would bear. And most importantly, number four, It was a public affirmation that he is the Messiah because God himself gave direct testimony from heaven above. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. I can only imagine what that would have been like. But of course, during the days of the early church, The Gnostics would put a twist on this, and they would interpret it incorrectly. And the Gnostics stated that Jesus is a natural-born child of Joseph and Mary. He's only human. And that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus at the time of the baptism. You even said so yourself. It was at this time, they say, that he became the Christ. And then they claimed that the Spirit of God left Christ just before the crucifixion. You see how dangerous this claim is? If this were true, then the death of Jesus is that of an ordinary man. You see, Jesus has to be fully man and fully God from the time of his birth until the time of his death. Otherwise, he cannot make an atonement for our sin and reconcile us to God the Father. I think Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 says it very well. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that At that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But from the moment that Jesus died on the cross man has been trying to discredit the Lord. And these very same attempts to discredit Jesus in the early church are still happening to this very day. It's just repackaged and twisted in various ways. The Jehovah Witnesses, for an example, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They say that Jesus was only a man, that he was not God in the flesh. And the Mormons, they believe that the Bible was transmitted over centuries and has suffered loss of many precious parts. Therefore, it needs to be compared with the Book of Mormon and modern-day revelations. Mormons do not believe in the Trinity. That is, they don't believe that one God exists in three persons. Rather, they believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that they are three separate gods. Yet each of these religions, or cults, whatever you want to call them, are diligent to spread these false teachings about Jesus Christ. But I ask you, how often do you see these groups in the neighborhood spreading these false messages? And this is exactly why God gives his testimony about Jesus Christ so that we could know the truth. So I ask you, are you going to believe the testimony of man rather than the testimony of God? But John, the one who Jesus loves, knowing that there would be opposition to the first witness, he calls the second witness to take the stand. In verse 6, it says, This is the one who came by water and with the blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. I find it very interesting that in this verse, it specifically points out that it's not the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Our second witness to to take the stand is the blood, and the blood will testify on behalf of Jesus Christ. The blood referring, of course, to the death of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 27, 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Now this is not just any darkness. This was supernatural darkness. The sun sun had stopped shining and the darkness covered the land for three hours. Darkness at the crucifixion symbolized death. It is symbolic of judgment, and it is symbolic of God's displeasure on the people and the sins of the world. It testified that God's judgment was upon his very own son. His Son, Jesus Christ, who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserve was upon Him. And the blood that He spilled, by that blood we are healed. And the iniquity of all the people throughout the history of this world... All who would ever believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their sins were placed on him. It was the largest mass of sin to ever be in one place. And the Lord was pleased to crush his precious son, putting him to grief. And in Matthew 27.50, it says... And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And then, jumping down to verse 54, it says. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. What amazes me about this verse is that it's plain to see, even from the standpoint of a Gentile centurion, that Jesus is the son of God. These signs, they were apparent. God himself gave the people that were there a clear testimony. Not only in the three hours of the darkness that fell across the land, but there was also the earthquake. And in addition to that, the curtain in the temple had torn from top to bottom. Now this is really significant. It's interesting that the the curtain tore from the very top to the very bottom. Now, this isn't any curtain that—it's not just any curtain that we're talking about. This is a massive curtain. This curtain was 30 feet high, and it had to be high because it had to cover the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there were cherubim, the huge statues— They were 15 feet high, and they had a wingspan of 15 feet. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how thick the curtain was, but some sources say that the veil was a handbreadth thick, and that two horses could not have pulled that curtain in two. Now, of course, that's just speculation, but the curtain had to be thick. It couldn't be see-through because it had to block the view from the Holy of Holies. The real miracle here is that the curtain is torn from top to bottom. And this was not just a partial tear, it was the full 30 feet. No man has that kind of reach, and no man has the strength to tear such a massive curtain. But God has more than enough strength. And the tearing of this curtain is so very important because God exposed the most holy place. Meaning that we now have access to God through Christ. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And it only happened once once a year. And if the high priest... Did anything wrong, what would happen? He would be struck dead. And that's exactly why they would tie a rope around the priest. So, in the event that he was struck dead, they would pull on the rope to retrieve the body. But Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, he died on the cross and he took our sins upon himself and he paid the price and was punished for our sins. It is a finished work. The debt has been paid. Hallelujah, glory be to his name. Because verse 10 says, anyone who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in his heart. And verse 11b, God has given us eternal life and the life is in his Son. So the point that God made by tearing the veil it is clear that the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have access to God and you have entered the Holy of Holies. And you don't have to worry about being struck dead because you have the life of Christ. The price for sin has been paid and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you are indeed in Christ, That is what God sees when he looks at you. Don't you understand this incredible gift that you have been given? If you believe in Jesus with all your heart, that he's your Lord and your Savior, you will live forever. And this is the testimony of God. So I ask you, have you come to a decision yet? Are you going to believe in the testimony of man or are you going to believe in the testimony of God? Now perhaps maybe some of you might be saying, well, how can I know for sure and believe that this is all true? Everything that you are saying took place over 2,000 years ago. And you know what? I get that because that's what I used to think. How can I know? Well, here's the third witness. John the Apostle brings the third witness to the stand to give testimony about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we look at verse 6, it says, It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Now, who is the Spirit, and what is the role of the Spirit? Well, John 14, 6, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, who the the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you." You see, Jesus Christ, he is our high priest and he intercedes for us. And he requested that the Father send the Holy Spirit to indwell the people who have faith. This is the Spirit of Christ, who is the third person of the Trinity having the same essence of deity as Jesus and the Father. And in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You see, through the power of the Holy Spirit, believers are saved and they're. They're, they're filled, they're sealed, and they're sanctified in Christ. The Holy, the Holy Spirit reveals God. His, they, he reveals God's thoughts. He teaches and he guides believers into all truth. God gives his followers the Holy Spirit so that we may know him. The Holy Spirit opens the believers' eyes to the hope and salvation and to the incredible inheritance that they have in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11 says, These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit teaches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And Jesus told his disciples, The the Holy Spirit, who who God the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. In addition, just as a judge would do, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is essential because one of the first steps to salvation is to understand that you're a sinner and that you fall short of God's glory and you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be saved. Jesus is your only hope. And when you submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, it means that God takes up residence within you and he dwells in the believer. Isn't that amazing? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. In the ancient world, a seal was a a legal signature, attesting to the ownership and the validating what was sealed. So the Holy Spirit is our mark of adoption as God's children. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to, to his followers so that they could be confident in their salvation. The Holy Spirit is a deposit in our lives, confirming the validity of Christ's message and that we belong to Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, So in this case for Christ, we have three that testify that Jesus is the Son of God, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And even though we have three different testimonies, they are all in agreement. And that's what you want in a court of law. You want the testimonies to be different because that validates the truth. So I ask you again, are you going to believe the testimony of man rather than the testimony of God? What is your verdict? But before you decide, know this, the testimony of God is greater than man's because God does not lie. It's the truth. And the truth will set you free from sin and bondage. It's your only hope. God testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself that is the spirit of God. And the one who does not believe God Has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. But woe to the man that calls God a liar! The man who does not believe in Jesus does not accept the testimony of God. Do you know what this means? This is the unforgivable sin that is talked about in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 30. It is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. And why? Because it is the ultimate insult to God. God sent his precious son to suffer and die so that it would be possible to have access to God. So the unbeliever desires to be in control of their own life and doesn't want to be accountable to the Lord. That is why they choose not to believe. They desire to be autonomous and to answer to no one but themselves. They desire to be the God of their own life. Ironically, it was God who gave them life. I weep for this person, because if you don't believe in Jesus, then this is your best life now. If your sins have not been paid for by Jesus, then you have to pay the price for sin. And the wages of sin is death. And sinners will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand that this destruction is everlasting for all of eternity? it's something that the mind cannot even fathom all of eternity. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Now, as we know, Christmas is upon us. And it was so wonderful to hear um, some Christmas songs from, from the worship team. What a blessing it is. So in closing today... I want you to think about this. When you hear the word Christmas, what comes to your mind? Do you think about running out to the stores to find the best deals? Do you think about jumping on the computer and going to Amazon and looking for the best deals on Amazon on Cyber Monday? Do you think about sitting by the Christmas tree and the fireplace and with the family and friends and you're opening up gifts. And do you think about feasting on the ham and the turkey and the tamales, the chili con queso and the wonderful desserts? Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) You know, all of these things, they sound wonderful. And they are wonderful. And I have to admit that I myself, I enjoy the festivities of Christmas. But the reason for the season is Jesus Christ. And truth be said, we should be selling Christmas, celebrating Christmas every day. Every single day. Because in Christ, God has given us the ultimate gift. He has given us the gift of His Word. He has given us the testimony, which is the truth. He has given us the Spirit of Christ, if you believe in Christ. He has given us His precious Son. And He has shown abundant mercy and grace. And his love is amazing love. It's amazing. It it, it amazes me standing up here to talk about this. Jesus is the reason for this season. And God has given us the only gift that really matters. And if you believe with all of your heart in Jesus... Then God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And though not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. In Titus 3, 4 through 7, it says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So the only gift that really matters Is Jesus. And Jesus said. To him who overcomes. I will give the right. To sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame. And sat down. With my father. On his throne. Can you imagine. That. That. Is the ultimate. Gift. We are not going to be entering into the doors of a courtroom. We are going to be entering into the gates of heaven to live with God and sit on his throne with him forever. So I pray, I pray that your verdict will be I do believe in Jesus Christ. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and pray that you will please share this good news to all. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord that His Word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible Word. We would also love to have you join us at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for connections and 10 a.m. to 1230 for our worship service. We are located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission De Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-861-6900 or visit our website, at gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.